Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode number 53. And this week, my guest is longtime veteran independent wrestler Attila Khan, aka Dennis McCause. We will be getting into that fascinating conversation in just a couple of minutes. Just a few things I wanted to run through before we get there. First of all, just to get this out of the way, um, one last plug for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards. As you may know, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, is eligible for the award for Best Wrestling Book of 2022. And I only ask that you maybe possibly consider casting a vote if you are a Wrestling Observer Newsletter subscriber, and if you enjoyed the book enough to feel that it is worthy for that award, I encourage you, if you haven't already, to cast your vote. Voting is going to be closing up very, very soon. I believe it's early February that voting will be ending and the winners will be announced. So this is my last suggestion to the listeners of Shut Up and Wrestle, who may also be newsletter subscribers, to cast your vote for Blood and Fire. Also want to say, that the April 2023 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the awards issue, is now out and about in the wild. It is available at your newsstands, Barnes & Noble, Stop & Shop, wherever you get the magazine. It is the year-end awards issue, so it's a very cool issue. The best of 2022, as voted on by the readers of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I encourage you to pick it up, if you can, at pwi-online.com. Com. And while I'm speaking about PWI, I'd also like to point you to the most recent episode of the PWI podcast, episode number 211. As I mentioned here a few times in the past, I am a co-host on that show with Al Castle, and I'm particularly proud of the conversation we just had on episode 211 of the PWI podcast. We brought on PWI editor-in-chief Kevin McElvaney, and we got to talk a lot about the impending possible sale of WWE that a lot of people have been talking about, as well as the passing of Jay Briscoe and our thoughts on his legacy and what he meant to the wrestling business. So I'm proud of that. Check it out if you can. PWI podcast episode 211. But now let's talk about this podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle, episode 53. Attila Khan is a wrestler that has spent almost a quarter of a century in the business and he is most particularly known in uh, the Illinois and Missouri area, has worked on a lot of independents over the years, most recently for Herb Simmons' Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. But where he pertains to the world of classic old-school wrestling is really how he got into the business. He was a protege of Harley Race. Uh, Pat O'Connor was a family friend of his family. 
And he's had a lot of other interactions like that, getting into the business. Harley used to bring him around WWE shows around the time I was working there 20 years ago. And uh, Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., a lot of people in the business that he has crossed paths with. He has a lot of fascinating stories about his own experiences in the business. Uh, dealing with Sergeant Slaughter on an issue of potential gimmick infringement, which I think you'll enjoy. So please take a listen to the following conversation. I think you'll get a big kick out of it, and I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so my guest this week is somebody who is a veteran of the Squared Circle, an independent wrestler based in the Midwest going back more than 25 years a trainee of Harley Race, which we will absolutely talk to, who who got his start wrestling for Harley's World League Wrestling organization, spent a lot of time in more recent years wrestling for Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. He's somebody who has shared a ring, shared a wrestling ring with people like Haku, the Barbarian, Hacksaw Butch Reed, Trevor Murdoch, Cowboy Bob Orton, the Harris Twins, among many other people. I'm talking about someone whose parents named Dennis McCaws, but in the ring is known as Attila Khan. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> it's quite the intro. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but uh, and, and people would be surprised. Uh, I'm putting myself over. Yes, I know. Quite the yeah. intro. But no, but what I'm saying is people would be surprised to hear how soft-spoken you are if they only know you from watching your matches, right? It's 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 quite a bit different. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they may be surprised who Attila really is. Do you find yeah. that that happens a lot in, in, in your everyday life, that people, you know, maybe who only know you as a wrestler or have an assumption that you are just going to be a lunatic and they're taken aback when they learn, hey, this is a normal person. <laughs> It, it, it does happen quite a bit. We'll we'll be out, you know, you're you're in different stores or, you know, we've had a couple of things recently where, you know, I'm out with my family and, you know, somebody will holler, hey, there's Attila you know, or hey, Attila Khan from across the parking lot or whatever, you know, and my family always laughs. They're like, you, you know, you've got to be kidding me. We were just at a, a basketball tournament for my daughter's school and a fan came all the way across the court. So I saw you standing here and he like wedged himself in between me and my friend that was standing there, my buddy, and then realizes this guy's a wrestling fan. He said, I saw you from over there. I wanted to come speak to you or whatever. And so that's funny. And then I also get the looks because Attila looks a lot different, you know, when he's in the ring, there's, there's the wide eyes. There's usually a lot of blood. There's the, the hair is all down. Yes. And then they see this guy out and they see this guy out in public and they go, same big beard, same size, but, the eyes, and you can see him trying to figure out, is that really the, you know, they're looking at me trying to put it together. Is that him? You know, and uh, so I'll get that quite a bit too, that that real long stare and that look because they're trying to process, is that really him? Right. That, you know, that a lot of people will say that, that they have to, there's always that situation where you could tell the wheels are turning in somebody's head and they're like, is, is that the guy? And sometimes people have told me right. that sometimes fans will come up to them and they'll say they'll ask something like, "Are you somebody?" Like I know you're somebody. Are you so, are you somebody? Like a weird question like that. I, right. Oh, you'll get that. Like I've seen you. You you really. I, I, we just <laughs> right. had one of those uh, just in the night we're out, and somebody's like, "You really, really look familiar." I've seen you, and I'm like, 
Yeah, hard telling. I said I've been around here forever. <laughs> have you ever have you ever had situations where, you know, and and just to be clear for people that don't know, you know, and and when this interview posts, I'm going to put up lots of video uh, of you and and mm-hmm. pictures of you for people that haven't had the benefit of seeing you that, you know, you're uh, I, I don't want to do justice to summing up your persona, but I mean it's intimidating, it's mm-hmm. violent, it's scary. Um has this ever Yes benefited you in everyday life of maybe like your intimidating reputation has helped you in some way like maybe if if somebody was was gonna might have been afraid of you even if they shouldn't have been afraid of you um absolutely i and it's funny i i have uh i have a son that's uh 31 years old but i have daughters when they're 17 and 18 ones in college ones senior high school and Teachers, right? They're teachers. Usually they always laugh every time they go to, you know, a new school year or, you know, a new class for the semester or whatever. How long is it going to be before the teacher asks me? Because usually within two or three days, there's the, the bloody picture of their dad. But where it comes in handy is having teenage daughters is all the, the high school, the teenage boys have seen it too. And they're all wow. like, man, there is no way. <laughs> so that, that's one of the great benefits. You know, a, a lot of the, the boyfriends have been very intimidated, which is great. I don't even have to say anything, you know, and uh, they have had some come here and Haku's been at the house oh, or whatever. Talk- and they walk in and see some of those people and go. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it, it works. It works. Talk, talk about it. above using it. <laughs> I'm not above using it to my advantage. So, <laughs> hey, listen, I if if people had any reason to be afraid of me, which they do not, um, I would definitely use that to my advantage too. But but you mentioned Haku, of course, one of the most you know well known yeah. tough guys in the history of wrestling. I mean, the the reputation Absolutely. precedes him. But somebody else that I have to ask you about, and I don't I don't want to beat around the bush because it's so interesting to me to get to, is mm-hmm. Harley Race. You know, because, uh, I mean, God, uh, I don't mean to just sound like a pure fan here, but I mean, what that must have been like to to learn from somebody like that, I, I can't even imagine. It, it it was, I'll just sum it all up before I go into it would be, I was extremely fortunate and blessed to, to have had the opportunity. Um, and it, my relationship with Harley actually dated it back, um, back when I was a teenager, um, uh, Pat O'Connor, another legend, NWA world champion, was a very close friend of our family. Uh, grew up around Pat. Pat did holidays with us. Everything. I mean, we were <laughs> very good friends. Wow. And he would take me, give us tickets to gay shows uh, in St. Louis, uh, you know, in the 80s. And I would get to go in the locker room at times. And I have a picture from when I was probably junior high age and I'm standing there with Harley race. He's the champion. And that picture, I actually gave it to Harley years later. It, it hung in his office until he passed away. So fast forward, you know, that was my first kind of, you know, exposure to Harley. And then uh, when I got out of the military, out of the Marine Corps in 1994, started wrestling locally in St. Louis and towards the late nineties, got that call uh, to come for what was then called world legion wrestling it was before it was world league okay and um some other people are other people were involved with that and so we went down and gordon Soley was doing the announcing for us and i mean um with harley's connections obviously you know there was a lot of wcw wwf guys at the time that worked there 
And uh, the the first time, you know, when I get this call and opportunity, I walk in and I, and I see him again. And I'm like overwhelmed, obviously, again, you know, because, I mean, it's Harley Race. I mean, what what can't, you know, what hasn't already been said or can't be said about that guy. And so kind of to break the ice, to completely not, you know, just completely mark out, I guess, when I just, when I saw him, you know, I told him the story about, hey, I have this picture. And I got to meet you through Pat O'Connor. And he tells me, you know, I'd like to see that. You know, he gives that grumbly voice. And so the next time, you know, the next show I brought it. And so that that went on for a couple months. And then it went out of business. And and I thought, well, that's it. That was it. And uh, about a few weeks later, my phone rings here at our house. And pick it up. And Harley Race is on the phone. And he's like, man, I want you to come to work for me. I'm going to start World League Wrestling. And that's where the relationship truly started. Uh, Harley and I hit it off um, extremely well um, to the point uh, I spent a lot of time. I would stay at his house uh, on the weekends. Like we had shows and we we're driving out of town. I'd go there. I would stay with him um, when we were on this side of the state. Harley and his wife, BJ, would stay here at the house with us. And. And um, I don't know if I was fortunate or unfortunate. I say that jokingly, but I always Harley would say, "You're going to ride with me." And I mean, the, the mm-hmm. stories of Harley's driving. Um, yeah, a boat, a car, <laughs> anything, you know, <laughs> in anything, you know. So as scary as the actual ride was, you know, Brian, <laughs> I, I had an opportunity to, to to sit in the front seat with Harley Race and just listen and learn, and to be under that learning tree, and that's, you know. A lot of people can do wrestling moves, but you learn from those those car rides, right? Those traveling trips, being on the road with him, spending that time with him, and just listening to the lessons and how to do things. And then, you know, you go for several years, and you know there there was a handful of us from that original crew. You know, Trevor Murdoch was one of them. Uh, Steve Fender, who is another guy that locally has been around for twenty plus years as well, and all of us were extremely close with him. And that's what we always tell people is that you got to figure everything that we did in a wrestling ring outside the ring walking to the ring traveling to whatever was observed by harley race i mean everything so you had that one-on-one just immediate um correction uh advice you know idea of harley race and what what i gained from that i mean i always it's invaluable, you know, and it was during that time getting to meet some of the other guys that have went on to be some of my best friends in life. But, you know, that relationship with Harley was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, he, he honestly was one of the, one of the dearest friends I've ever had and uh, missing, missing greatly. There's, we, we talk all the time, myself, Trevor and Steve, and we, we laugh about things that goes on in the business today and different things. I'm like, man, can you imagine if Harley was here? You know, <laughs> how, how would he handle that? <laughs> I, I think we've all thought that we, that's something that's, that's popped into our head specifically with Harley race in mind and a few other people. Uh, but Absolutely. it's, you know, it's funny that you mention it too. It's not funny, but the thing is I, I, I often see and feel like that's something that is, not as prevalent now and it makes me sad what i mean is 
people that are younger people that are willing to listen and learn from the older generation. And I'm not, I don't mean to, you know, I'm not just trying to dump on young wrestlers who certainly have it, have it tough and they don't need people punching down on them, but sure. But it's based on things that I've heard about and read about of, of, of young wrestlers sometimes who think, they know everything, and they're not even in in major companies. I mean, we, I've heard stories coming out of AEW. I, I'm not going to sure. name any names on either side, but of young mm-hmm. talent not wanting to listen to veterans, veterans getting frustrated, that kind of thing. You know, young young talent thinking they they know it all, and it it feels it's, like when when that happens, it's like a chain is broken. You know, to the past that that it's essential. Oh, I, I completely agree. I actually kind of the conversation. I, that's very much the gist of the conversation uh, myself and Steve Fender had not more than a month ago. We were talking about that. I mean, you know, I've been in the business since 1994. I said, I've been in the business longer than a lot of the people have been alive that's in the locker room now, you know, and we talked about we're kind of that last link to the old school days. And I mean, it, it gets, it does, it gets kind of pushed to the side, you know, you're the grumpy old guy over there whatever or why do you feel that way about different things that happen and you know why do you think we should you know it should be worked this way or whatever it might be but i'm like you know i grew up in a locker room that was led by harley race and i mean you had guys like butch reed in that locker room on a regular basis with us and i mean if if people don't know butch reed um you know he's no longer with us and he greatly missed but I can tell you, back in the day with Butch, um, you know, I've seen <laughs> I, I quick story on him. And there, there, there's a few guys that were around that you could get a hold of and can verify this. We were taping television in Springfield. And a, a, a young kid um, messed up. And not messed up that he blew a spot, did anything like that. He wasn't selling and coming back on Butch the way he should have. And in turn, it made Butch look weak. <laughs> and... That's that's a ter- that's like a, a taboo mistake, you know, with those guys. And Butch gets to the locker room, and I mean, just kind of that open hand smack, then the paint brushing back and forth. And he, it was so loud that they came out front from where they're taping television, say, hey, "Can you get Butch off this kid because we can hear him out there on the television, and the, the fans can hear it." And you know, back in the day, I've seen guys stuff, you know, that didn't want to listen didn't, you know, went into business for themselves or whatever. And they actually just picked their stuff up throw it right out the back door of the building and go, you're, you're no longer a part of this. And it's changed. It, it, it changed, you know, society has changed. A lot of what went on then wouldn't be acceptable now, you know, but there's part of me, a, a large part of me that I, I miss those older days because, you know, I think there's a job for everybody in wrestling that if they want to get into it, but not everybody can be a performer in the ring. You know, and we've got into, I think, an era where everybody can be a wrestler, you know, right. so they say they're a wrestler or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and we talked about that, you know, that that, that chain is going to be broke, you know, because at some point, even in the guys my, my age, we're no longer going to be in the locker room at some point, you know, and if we don't pass that on. As much as I mean, it's met with a lot of resistance a lot of times. And, um, you know, not taking away from young wrestlers, because I can tell you, honestly, they're more athletic than probably any other era 
of professional wrestlers. I mean, the things that these guys can do physically and the athletic athleticism they have is amazing. I mean, there, there's guys that do things even when I was 22 years old. There's no way I could have done some of that stuff. So, I mean, they're so talented, so athletic, but it's uh, that link to the past, I think, is getting diluted as time goes, you know. But I'm sure, you know, what was it, Luthez that called Harley Race a spot monkey at one time? <laughs> you yeah. look back at Harley Race's, you know, his videos and the young kids look at that and go, oh, that's slow and methodical, you know. And for Luthez, that was, you know, and maybe that's how it is. I don't, I don't know, but it, it's tough to accept that. You know, I, I mean, you know, you bring up a good point because it's true that the business changes and it's always been changing. We know that. I mean, that's part of it too. And I think Carl Gotch also, mm -hmm. or maybe it might have been one or the other, or maybe it was both of them. There was a quote about Carl Gotch talking about how a, a world having someone like Harley race as a world champ exposes the business. And, and you look at that statement today and you're like, I don't, you know, you can't even comprehend it, but it also shows you how much the business changes that, you know, to mm -hmm. the, to the guys of the even older generation, even somebody like sure. a Harley race, let's say, cause I know one of the things they would, they would criticize would be that big diving headbutt that he would do. They would say, oh, that looks ridiculous. You would never do that in a fight or so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. I remember Tony Gurria telling me that he took heat for doing a drop kick, as people would say to him. Right. Well, you'd never do a drop kick in a fight. I, well, okay, great. But you'd also – you'd never do a figure four leg lock in a real fight either. I mean – but so, right. I mean, times change and styles change, but I don't think it can all be explained away that way. I, I think sometimes, you know, change – Change is good and change is constant, but doesn't always mean that all kinds of change are good. Like I wonder and I worry sometimes we're talking about these links to the past and when people like you aren't in locker rooms anymore, what will happen? <laughs> this is such right. a, a doom and gloom thing, but what will happen when these kids that we're talking about, when they're the old timers in the locker room, you know, what, what happens to the business at that point? You know what I mean? It, it, I, I don't, and, and that's, I don't have that answer because I looked at it and I go, it, it is scary. And, you know, you go, it, it, I, I hope, honestly, I hope I don't see that because I will felt like I, I let, you know, the Harley races down, you know, and, uh, and the, the other people from that era. And, uh, you know, because we took it and have tried to continue to, you know, to, carry it on but uh yeah hard hard telling where it's going to end up and uh, it's, it's it's funny you bring up the diving headbutt yeah um, that is something so um late 1990s myself steve fender working for harley race and we say we want we want to start doing a diving headbutt you know i want to start doing that and it, it's a move i've used for over 20 years and harley told us he said i'll tell you how to do it I'll explain it to you, but I'm going to tell you right now. He said, it looks great. He goes, but you're going to screw your neck up. Well, you're in your 20s. You know, and Harley's telling us how he's had neck operations and all that. You know, but I'm in my 20s. You know, you can't be hurt. You know, that's ridiculous. You got your neck done because you're older, you know. So uh, two years ago, so me and Steve learned it. We've both used it since the late 90s. Um, so two years ago, I had a cervical neck fusion, C2 through C7, would herniate it, C5, C6, if it exploded. 
uh, cadaver bone plate, two screws. Uh, Steve had his fused uh, about two years before, <laughs> before I did. And both of us laughed. It was like, you know, Harley warned us and we wouldn't listen. And here we are, you know, 25 years later, getting everything screwed back together. People don't realize how much impact those kind of moves and the toll that they take, you know, because people will talk like you're saying how, you know, younger people will look at Harley race matches and go, oh, this Mm -hmm. is slow. This is too methodical. And, uh, you know, it everything looks so low impact and he's not doing this Mm -hmm. and he's not flying. He's not doing that. But I mean, the what those guys put themselves through, um, you can't. I mean, I remember I think Jim Cornette said on his show once and maybe you could even confirm it that he was with Harley Race once in the locker room and Harley Race said, here, I want you to feel squeeze my knee, hold on to my knee. And he said, pushing on his kneecap, it felt like a bag of pebbles mm-hmm. like it like that's, it just you know what I mean? It wasn't even a solid bone anymore. That That's true. That is true. Um, Harley would do, you know. Harley was going through, you know, he was taking those bumps outside the ring. He was going through tables. He was going to, he was doing things back in the seventies and eighties before it became, you know, stack seven tables on top of each other and do a flip (laughs) through the top of it, you know, um, and, and people, you know, through the years, you know, I I never used the F word to describe wrestling, you know, the, the taboo, it, uh, you know, it's, and I'm like, no, it's, it's not. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I can list all the surgeries and all the pins, plates and screws that I have, but I always tell people, I said, if you think that it is, here's what we can do. I'll pick you up over my head. Then I'm going to throw you down flat of your back. And I want me, I want you to tell me how you did that. And it didn't hurt. And there was no impact on your body. Cause I'm going to start doing it the way you did it. Because evidently, you know, a secret about Define gravity that I don't, and I want to learn your way. You know, and I've yet to have anybody take me up on it. So I'm like, you know, we can try it. I said, here, I'll pick you up, and throw you on your back, see, see how it feels. That's the thing. And when you're doing it every night, and sometimes you'd hear oh. interviews with some of the old timers. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember an interview with Bruno San Martino where he talked about how <clears throat> the rings, a lot of the rings back then were just boxing rings. They weren't even mm-hmm. specially made for wrestling, so they had no give or spring, and it was just w- wooden planks with canvas. And you're mm-hmm. slamming and doing all that stuff, and your your organs just, you know. That's why I think I have a theory oh. about him. He, you know, he was in such great condition his whole life, and everybody thought. Mm-hmm. That he he was going to, I mean, look, he lived to a, a decent old age, but people thought mm-hmm. he was going to live about 10, 15 years longer than he did. And I really sure. think what what starts to happen is even someone like him who isn't known for doing crazy spots or anything, your body just takes so much impact over the years that your, your organs, the, your internal mm-hmm. operation of your body just is never the same again. The, the, the beating that your body takes and you take... You know, you look at some of the old um, travel schedules and booking schedules. Take Harley when he was a champion. Oh, take players. You know, um, I've looked at Bruiser Brody's, you know, Barbara, that, that was posted somewhere. And these guys were, you know, 20, 25 nights in a row without a day off. And then it was like the day off was like a travel trip to Japan to do another like 15 days to fly back to the U.K. 
pay to get back to the U.S. And, you know, twice on Sunday and just the beating, you know, that's like, you know, I went in when I had my neck done and um, didn't initially tell the, the surgeon, you know, that was a professional wrestler. And he's looking at my neck and he goes, um, have you ever been hit in the head? And I'm like, and I just kind of laugh and I, you know, <laughs> probably a, a few hundred thousand times, you know, and he's like, he looks at me and he goes, have you ever fallen? And I'm like, probably twice that amount, you know, and he's like, what, I'm kind of like, what the hell? And I'm like, I'm a professional wrestler at the time for like 26 years. And he goes, that explains it. Now I know. But I mean, and that's at my schedule, which was, you know, just so many days per week for many years where these guys were every day of the week for decades. And I mean, it, the, the toll on your body, I mean, Harley race, it, you know, seeing him as he got older and I'm not talking about when he by the time he ended up in a, a wheelchair, but, you know, just the years prior to that, just seeing him get around and seeing the aches, pains, the knots and bones that weren't there, you know, or didn't feel like they were there, you know, and just, it's, it's unbelievable. I only met him one but time. I wouldn't trade any of it. <laughs> no, but that's what everyone says too, you know, but I, I met him one time, Harley. It, uh -huh. it was, um, we, when WWE was in St. Louis, they were at the Savas center and, they invited him mm -hmm. backstage. I I don't know. I I think on I think he went back there pr pretty often when they were in St. Louis anyway. And I just happened mm -hmm. to be there because I wasn't always on the road. But I mm -hmm. made a I made a point to go over to him in catering. He was sitting alone. I just went mm -hmm. over to him and sat with him and just talked to him about everything I could possibly think of. St. Louis, Sam Muchnick, Ric Flair, sure. any, anything he wanted to talk to me about, I was ready to talk about and. I got, I wound up getting, you know, because worldly, he had WLW by that point. And I think mm -hmm. like you were saying, they had kind of a, a relationship with the WWE where there, in fact, mm -hmm. I think that might've even been how Trevor Murdoch got in there. He was originally Trevor yes. Rhodes. I think it yes. was through that connection, but they had, I should say for people that know about M uh, WLW, their slogan was shut up and wrestle. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and, that um, I, I remember because I got the name of this podcast from a column that I wrote when I worked at WWE, which I called Shut Up and Wrestle. And it became, mm -hmm. you know, because that a lot of people were saying that back then, you know, and sure. it became something where I it, it, people were in the office were criticizing me for it because I was criticizing the company for for not having too mm -hmm. much talking on the show. And I wound up getting myself because I was trying to get as much heat on myself as I could. I ordered myself a WLW shut up and wrestle t-shirt. And I Those started awesome. <laughs> right. I, I still have it. I started wearing yeah. it around the office just to uh -huh. like rub it in people's faces. But, but it was such a perfect summation of like the Harley race attitude. But you know, what's interesting about that is he was also one of the greatest talkers there ever was, you know, too. He, he could talk like no, he could talk anyone into the building. He was great. Yeah. In, in, Harley was believable. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. It, it, because I, I can tell you that honestly, the character that people saw, that wasn't really a, a, a character. That was Harley. Harley was a rough, tough. And when he was the world champions, because he was the greatest wrestler on God's green earth. And you can ask anybody that knew Harley. Harley believed he could outdo Anybody and anything that they did, if it was going to, if you're going to drink beer, Harley's going to drink more beer than anybody. If you're going to drive a car, you can drive it faster than anybody. He was, that was Harley race. He was tough. And like, so when he looked into those cameras and told you, you know, 
those big old hands of his, and he's pointing, you know, he's going to kick their butt. You show up, you believed it. I mean, because it was real. It, it wasn't put on. And uh, he was, you know, talking about him in the WWE locker room, going in with him multiple occasions. Oh, okay. To see where guys, you know, you walk in with Harley Race, and you, you see how fans treat, you know, the WWE guys. Well, when you walk into the locker room with Harley Race, when you see people like Stone Cold, you see The Undertaker, you see Triple H, you see these guys immediately flock to Harley Race. And you see on their face the same look that a fan has when they look at them. And, and that tells you the respect and who Harley Race was. When, you, when the legends of today look at Harley Race and put him on that pedestal, that he's, he's kind of on that rush more of wrestling, you know, you, you could see it. I think that was amazing. I, I think that Har- Harley Race had a big influence on Triple H as a wrestler. I mean, I don't think I'm breaking any new ground there. I think it's been made Absolutely clear. Absolutely, he did. I mean, at that running knee that he does or did, mm-hmm. a, a lot mm-hmm. of people always said, well, okay, he got that from Ric Flair. I, I don't think so. I think the I think he and Ric Flair both got it from Harley Race. Absolutely. Harley would, would joke about so many of the things that Flair had stolen from him. Yeah. Through the years, you know, different moves. Yeah. And, and the, the running knee that came from Harley. There's so many. If you know what you're looking for and you know the Harley race, you can still see his influence all the time, you know, and and he to, really to leave the go ahead. No, I was just going to say he he made flair. I mean, I think even flair would would admit to that, you know, the the second title when he beat him in the cage, even though he had already been the champion once before. He really was made. That's when the his his real legacy was made. That when when race put him over with Gene Kaniski as the referee at Starcade. I mean, that was it right there. Starcade '83 was the passing of the torch. That was the yeah. true beginning of the Flair legacy. And I I can remember I, uh, Harley was staying here at the house one night, and I put in Starcade '83 his old VHS tape. Put it in. Him and I are sitting in our living room drinking beer. The, the oh. wives have already went to bed. And sitting with Harley Race, having a cold beer, and he's narrating that match for me. I can't he believe says, oh. He said, yeah, Kaninsky's in the wrong spot here. He said, I, this was supposed to happen here. This was going to ha- and And I just looked at him. I said, I could have sold freaking tickets to this. I said, I, I, I could have. Hard telling how much I could have made if I could have sold it to ha- Come have a beer with Harley Race. Let him narrate Starcade 83. Oh the making God. of Ric Flair. I I mean, it's I, it's things like that I would not trade for anything in the world. I would be first in line because that's probably <laughs> my favorite match of all time. I think that really is. But it's but I've heard that it's it. I'm I'm interested to hear that you said that. I've heard that Harley was very critical of Kaniski that he felt like he ruined the finish. And I guess I've seen the match a million times. And and if you watch it, you could sort of tell that. He's in the wrong spot, and and Harley. I'm trying to remember. Uh, he's coming. Flair. No, Harley's coming off the top, or some somebody. And, and it's the right roll it's like, up, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. like a schoolboy kind of thing. And and he falls over Kaniski because he's in the wrong place. And it yes. kind of, if you know that going in, you could. It, it does kind of mess the finish up a little bit. It's not as as clean and perfect as it should have been, but. But it's interesting to hear that he that that's true yes. that he did feel that. that and I think after he, the match, you could after the match, you could see 
them arguing and it doesn't break kayfabe because it's still the ex-champion who just lost arguing with the referee but in reality it's race saying what the hell were you where, what were you doing you you, you ruined the match he, he was legitimately pissed when it happened and he told me as we watched it you know he, he cussed Kaninsky then he's like he's in the wrong damn spot look at that you know and yeah so that that is true that that is a fact that's great. I no, we've confirmed it here. And and I have yeah. to ask because we well, I, there's a couple of things I want to talk. Well, let's stick with this for a while because mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about Pat O'Connor. I mean, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. I can't not talk about Pat O'Connor. But um when you started with WLW and back in the mm-hmm. 90s and everything, you had mentioned briefly at the top of the show that you were you were known as the drill instructor, right? The DI. Correct. And I know from talking to Sergeant Slaughter, I remember him telling me when he worked at WWE that he got inspiration originally for his, because he was a totally different character before that. He was like a hippie or something. Right. And when, when mm-hmm. he got his inspiration, he got it from watching the, the Jack Webb movie, The DI, where Jack Webb plays this drill instructor. And he took the character partly from that. And I was wondering if there was any connection at all. Well, what? The way I ended up as the drill instructor, uh, so I served in the Marine Corps from 1990 to 1994. I'm a combat veteran of Desert Storm. I was in the Marine Corps infantry and had plans to go to DI school and stay in the military. Um, Long story, I ended up getting out, going to the police academy, uh, whatever. And so I started training at the same time, was just out of the Marine Corps for a couple months. And back then, you really didn't think about a gimmick you learn to wrestle first and then they would yeah. kind of get something that fit you. And uh, Pete Madden, a guy from this area was like, you know, you really need to stick kind of with that Marine gimmick. You, you know, you still look like a Marine, you got the haircut, you know, the, the military bearing that you have. And so we kicked around names and we came up with the drill instructor. And that's from my Marine, actual Marine Corps experience. And so that's, the first half of my career was spent as the DI and it was very successful. Got to do a lot of things. And I was uh, booked on a, uh, a dark match in St. Louis for the WWE and uh, walked in the door and all the way to the building that day, you know, you, how you, you're supposed to, you got to be there. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. It was early. I remember Noon. it was early in the afternoon. Yeah. 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 So, and I remember going to the building um, you know, and Harley had coordinated the booking for that and whatever. And, um, I, I was dreading, you know, in a way going because I knew Sergeant Slaughter was going to be there. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I got the smoke. Yeah. I got the whole thing. So wait, you were, you were actually using that gimmick at the, at the taping then. Oh, yes. Man. Okay. I would yes. be afraid of Sergeant Slaughter too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh man, you know, and I, what helped me, I think is they, everybody knew when I walked in, I was Harley's guy, right? They talked about here. That's got Harley's guy. And then plus Haku uh, and a couple of the other guys there had been in. And I knew very well that we're working. They were, that's kind of that period when Haku had come back to the WWE for a bit. And so I had a good relationship. I, I, I wasn't walking in cold with the gimmick, I guess. And so as soon as I walked through the door, you know, one, they pulled a rib on me and sent me to the Undertaker's private dressing room, which that, that was 
that's a whole nother story. So once I recovered from that and walked back out, um, they start, Hey, slaughter your kids here, you know, and all this. And I'm thinking, come on, man, you know, not. And so slaughter comes up to me later that afternoon. And he said, so you, you do this drill instructor again, man. you know, and I said, yes, sir, I do. And, um, and I said, I was, he, we talked a little bit and I told him I was actually a Marine and he was a combat veteran and all that. And which he, said, well, which he was not, which he was not. That should be pointed which out. He, yeah. yeah. Which he was not. <laughs> and, um, so he said, I'm going to, I'm going to watch you. And I said, okay. You know, so I went out and did the match, had a good match. I worked with, uh, Murray. He, he wrestled as bowed up at one time. Oh, I, yes. I yes. Murray. Uh, and so when I come back to the curtain, Slaughter was actually one of the first people standing there. And he says, uh, and he had asked me earlier that day, he says, do you use the name Slaughter? And I go, no, I, no, sir. You know, I said, I used the drill instructor. And when I came back from the curtain, um, after the match, he was one of the first people there. And he said, you're more than welcome to use that. And I said, well, I said, I hope that I have a quarter of the success that you had with it. And then fast forward uh, three three years ago or whatever, uh, Cauliflower Alley, I'm out there and, and, and Sergeant Slaughter's there. And he's since been into SICW a few times for us as well. Uh, but I went up to him and I don't look like the DI anymore, right? You know, I got the Attila look yeah. now. And and um, I walk up to him and he, I go to introduce myself and he said, you're Harley's guy. He, he still recognized me from that many years ago. I said, I am. And uh, so we took a picture together uh, that, that I still have and whatever. And uh, but it was kind of with his blessing. But there was you, you talking about, you know, the first time po- booked with the WWE and, you, you know, walking in with this gimmick and, and seeing the guy that made a gimmick so similar. Famous. Right. And how you know. did how did that happen, by the way, talking about going from the drill instructor to the complete opposite. How did, you know, was that something that happened between WLW and then going to work for Herb Simmons with SICW? Yeah. So I, I took some time off in between the years there and had a, a lot of surgeries, everything repaired, whatever. And uh, my daughters, as they were getting older, um, everywhere we went, people talk about their dad being a pro wrestler. Well, my son had been a lot, you know, he'd already been born. He was, he got to see the whole career, you know, and my daughters were young and they were, had never seen any of that. And they hear people talk, talk and then they found some magazines and some pictures and stuff with, with me and or whatever. And they got interested in wrestling. And so took him to a show, took him to one of Herb's SICW shows and talked to him and Larry and started kind of getting the bug, right. You know, cause you never really get out of it. Right. And so I, I call him and I said, uh, I, I think I'm ready to come back. I said, the problem is, is I don't look, nor can I move like the drill instructor used to do, you know? And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be the, just the biggest, nastiest heel with no redeeming qualities that you can have. I said, I just want to be the scary monster. And initially I, I told Larry Madison, I said, I never want to win a match, right? Even if I beat the guy, I want him to reverse the decision because I won't quit. And Larry's like, well, you got to win sometimes, right? And I go, no, I don't want to win. I don't ever want to win. I just want to be the bad guy that gets disqualified. And so I reached out. I actually reached out to Abdullah the Butcher. I was going to just say, I I was just going to say, kind of like Abdullah (laughs) the Butcher. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So so I reached out to Abdullah and, you know, 
because I'd met him. I'd actually got to wrestle him when I was the drill instructor. I'd wrestled Abdullah uh, for Harley. And uh, so I reached out to him and we'd talked a few times through the years. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this gimmick. And I, I, I want it to be very similar to kind of what, what you had done. And Abdullah was like, at the time when Attila first came back, the, the costume, the ring gear was exactly like Abdullah's. The pants, the whole bit. Abdullah was like, here's where you get the pants. Here's how you can get the boots. He said, don't forget the fork. And that's where the fork for Attila came from. And we used to do the black hood over my head and they'd pull the hood off. And so it was the whole transformation just because I had aged and I looked different than that young drill instructor. And so when we were coming up with names, we, we kicked a lot of things around. And I was, I said, I'm a, I'm a big history buff, you know, like, like you're saying, people be shocked you know my voice i'm soft-spoken i'm pretty laid-back individual i'm also a big book nerd right i, I love to read you know and I, all that stuff and so love history and i was like i want to go back to history and i want to find some of the meanest people i can think of and i'm, I'm going to try to use those names and we talked about vladdy and something off of vladdy and paler you know some just different things and i was like you know attila the hunt and genghis Khan. And I was like, dude, that's two of the baddest dudes that ever walked the earth, man. What if I took something from both of them and I put it together and I had a Tilicon and I called Herb and Larry and I said, I got it. And Herb's like, I love it. That's what it is. And that, and that's how the name of Tilicon came about. And uh, a lot of really just one-on-one with Abdullah of how to, how to work the gimmick, how to um, do the different things, you know, to, to get that over. And it was, it was at, at the beginning, uh, I will admit, I, I kind of struggled with it because I'd always been a baby face. My entire career, I'd been a baby face. And now I'm the exact opposite of the character that I ever was. I mean, it couldn't be more different, you know, between the two characters. And, and yeah, but, and, and really, honestly, I'm sure you realize this, but Herb Simmons, who, you know, is the, owner and operator of SICW, mm-hmm. he he puts you over every chance he can get. Like, oh, any, yeah. what I mean is like, anytime he's talking about his business, like I've seen him at Cauliflower mm-hmm. Alley and I've speak, spoken to him. And when, whenever he's talking about his own promotion and he just wants to bring up a wrestler as an example, it's always you every time. He's always <laughs> talking about, he's always talking about always. Silicon. So he's obviously very proud of you. Yes. And I tell you, Herb and I go back, Herb, Literally, my first day in the business, 1994, walking in uh, to first place I trained, Herb Simmons was a part of that. Um, so I've literally known Herb since the, our, my first days in the business. And you know, Herb is just a, a, a top-notch individual. Uh, he's trustworthy. He's treated me like gold. And you know, him and I, you know, if I get booked somewhere else, outside of SICW, he'll drive. He's like, come on, just ride with me. He goes to make, he, I think Curb likes to go to make sure everything's going to be taken care of for me when I get there, you know, and treat it right. And, um, just fantastic. And he's provided me with so much opportunity. We've done a lot of good business together. And um, I, I really can't say enough about him, uh, of how I respect I have for him as well. And uh, he does, he, I, I will say, he does get the Attila name out there. It, it's been fantastic. 
<laughs> he does. And and also, I mean, talk about a link to the past, because, you know, when, when I had him on here, I mean, to, mm-hmm. that's somebody who who, you know, learned from Sam Mushnick. And I mean, you know, obviously a contemporary of Larry Matisik. And that is absolutely you know, the connection that Herb has. You know, and he's really one of, I would say, the last link through Larry to Sam Munchnick in that St. Louis wrestling. Um, the knowledge and experience, you know, just like we talked myself, learning from Harley Race. I mean, you got I got a Ph.D. in wrestling from Harley Race. Well, Herb Simmons got that Ph.D. from Larry Matisek and Sam Munchnick. You know, um, it, it's invaluable, the knowledge and the experience that he has, you know, and it's such a. You know, St. Louis wrestling, that's, you know, we, we could talk for hours uh, about St. Louis wrestling. And I mean, that was, you know, I, I go back to the first match I got to see live and how that, how that convinced that sent me on a path of what I wanted to do. And uh, got to see my childhood. It was, it was Brody versus Flair at the, wow. at the Checker Dome. And uh, I, I remember going, I was 11 years old and, I, I left there and I was like, I, I want to be a pro wrestler. That's what it, Bruiser Brody was my um, just absolute hero. And I, I laugh because Barbara and I have become very, very good friends uh, over the past several years. And also meeting uh, Brody's sister, Gail, who is just a, a great human being as well. But I always have to tell Barbara, I said, I, I have to watch it, Barbara. I said, because I, I embarrass myself. I said, even though you and I are very good friends, I said, when I talk about Bruiser Brody, I revert back to a 10 or 11-year-old kid. I said, you know, to this day, I'm still a fan of Brody's. And, you know, and he's one. And every time I crawl through the ropes, you know, he goes through my mind. Pat O'Connor goes through my mind. And Harley Race goes through my mind. And I want to make sure what I do inside that ring, they would approve of. And it was respectful of them. And I'm carrying on the things that they've done. Speaking of Pat O'Connor, I, like I said, I was going to get back to it. This is as good a time as ever because, I mean, you mm-hmm. want to talk about he, legends of St. Louis and, and just legendary NWA world champions. Oh, uh, just the fact and that you that you you're, he was a family friend, I guess you said, right? Yes. You knew him when you yes. were a kid. What was the connection? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Childhood friend of my mom and dad's um, knew Pat's um, girlfriend in St. Louis. Uh, he She worked inside an office where he delivered to. And they become friends. And she goes, you should meet my husband or boyfriend, you know, Pat O'Connor. And he's like, Pat O'Connor, like as in like the Pat O'Connor. Because Pat O'Connor in St. Louis, you know, I'm surprised there's not a statue someplace of Pat O'Connor in St. Louis. You know, he was so loved. and through him, um, he took me and said, hey, you know, I want you to meet Pat O'Connor. I knew I was a big wrestling fan. And um, it developed from there, met my parents, and ended up, we did holidays together. We did events together. He would take me to football. When the St. Louis Cardinal football team was in St. Louis, Pat would take me to football games. We did, I mean, he just became, Pat didn't have a son, so I was a teenager, and um, kind of a son that he had never had, I guess, or whatever. And, and he would take me and do these things. We did, like I said, holidays together. We, I got pictures all over, like family pictures. And there's Pat sitting there, you know, it's, and it's Thanksgiving evening or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, he had always talked 
then he said, when you, when you get out of school, he said, I want to take you to New Zealand. I want to take you hunt because I'm, I'm an avid hunter and fisherman. And uh, he ended up getting um, sick and passing away while I was in boot camp, you know, but he had always talked about that. And so, you know, there's a lot of times I think back if he could have lived to see that I became a professional wrestler and the career that I've had and the things I've got to do, I would have loved for him to be able to see that. But yeah, I mean, as a kid, I couldn't wait till he got to the house because then I'd invite buddies over, right. You know, so they could come in and see Pat O'Connor. There he is, you know, and, uh, just, a, wow. I, he, uh, you know, side note, Pat, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of stories about his, uh, I will say frugalness, uh, <laughs> with money. And, um, I was, I guess, probably a sophomore in high school, and, and Pat raised Doberman Pinchers, and he would sell these Doberman Pinchers, and they were high as a high dollar bloodline. And um, so he calls me up. His his female had had a litter of puppies, and we we go up there, and he takes me out, and there's all these little Doberman puppies, and he looks at me, and says, "Pick one." And I, I, I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Pick one. Pick whichever one you want." And so I picked the biggest black and tan Doberman Pinscher male that was there, you know, and ended up naming him Butkus after my favorite football player. And, uh, yeah, he's like, it's yours. That's a, that's a gift from me to you. I want you to have this. And I mean, he was selling these dogs for probably at the time, this is in the eighties. He was probably selling those dogs for over a grand. Right. And he's like, just take one. This is my gift to you, you know? And that was, you know, it was just that relationship and it was, one of the things I regret is I never asked Pat O'Connor for an autograph. I, I have nothing. I don't have anything signed. And just because I never thought of it like that. I mean, I knew who he, you know, obviously knew who he was and the history there. But it was just Pat. He was always there, you know. So that was one thing. When uh, late in my career, I asked Harley Race for an autograph. And he says, he's like, what? I said, I want <laughs> you to sign something for me. And then he signed something, put a real nice personal message on it. And it's, I, I cherish it, but um, yeah. Cause I wrestling at the chase in St. Louis, you know, I, I grew up watching it and you would see O'Connor, you know, O'Connor was on there all the time. Right. And then, you know, back in those days, if you knew a professional wrestler, because it was like that world was so isolated from everybody else, you know, unless they were a family friend, it was like the mob. It, it, it really was. Yeah. And to, to, to be introduced and then accepted and exposed and all that to it. Now, Pat never exposed any of the businesses. Kayfabe was still strong at that point. Uh, but knowing a pro wrestler, because I mean, that, that's like meeting an alien at that time. I mean, you didn't even know that they lived anywhere, you know, and it's <laughs> like, holy, right. holy cow, you know. And it was just, you know, being taken to those shows at the Checker Dome and sitting down, you know, third, fourth row on the floor. You know, and seeing Harley and Dusty Rhodes and uh, the Giant Baba. Seen, I remember seeing the Giant Baba as a kid. You know, and so many guys that I ended up establishing friendships with, and so many of them that I've wrestled with and against, and all that. Seeing them as kids, you know, and back in those days, it's just been, you know, because St. Louis at the time, and you'll hear a lot of people say that's how you knew you made it is when you wrestled in St. Louis, right, and, right. You know, O'Connor and Race, or, you know, and Sam Munchnik, you know, as well as Larry Madison, those are some of the pillars that that was built upon. 
I mean, that was that was and, just what you did here. And O'Connor, I mean, that's somebody that I don't think people mention enough as somebody whose matches I think you could learn a lot from watching. Like, like I think he he deserves a lot of credit I, in terms of like from oh, what, like the match. I mean, you know, people know the match with Buddy Rogers, but I mean, just mm-hmm. in general, how, how athletic he was. I think in this day and mm-hmm. age, he, he's he's very underrated in terms of when people say, "Oh, you should watch this person's matches, watch that person's matches." I mean, Pat O'Connor mm-hmm. was was amazing the way that he moved and the way that he like very modern, you know, the way that he mm-hmm. put put moves together and everything. Just really great to watch. Completely agree. I, I think because of the era that he was in, and you know, he passed away in August of 1990. You know, um, there's so many people that don't aren't aren't familiar with Pat right. O'Connor, and like you said, the O'Connor and Buddy Rogers that that's a textbook. I think anybody that's ever going to be a an in ring performer should have to study and break down that match. You know, the one at Comiskey Park because it, it's probably one of the greatest matches of all time. Yes, but you're right. Because Pat was, he was, it, like you said, it was very modern looking. You know, the O'Connor role and uh, the different things that he did was so different than anybody else. And he moved for a man his size, just how fluid his movements were and how agile he was, and was a physical specimen on top of it. And um, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think that uh, Pat gets a lot of the recognition, you know, and um, that he deserves. And it's, you know, obviously part of it is that, like you said, it, it's a long time ago and there's not mm-hmm. as much, there's not as much video, but like, for example, I think people will still say, Oh, you should watch buddy Rogers. He's from that era. Or people will even right. say, watch Luthez. And you could learn a lot watching Luthez. I mean, he, he's mm-hmm. another one, just explosive, dynamic in the ring. Not at all what you expect when you hear Luthez. You think, oh, it's going to be slow and boring. Not at all. But right. Pat O'Connor belongs right alongside those names. He's from the same time period, but mm-hmm. doesn't quite get talked about as much and sh- and should be, I think. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Because I can tell you, you know, when people say you should watch Buddy Rogers, watch that match he had in Chicago. Buddy Rogers wouldn't have had that match if Pat O'Connor wouldn't have been in the ring with him. It took them both to get it done. Yeah, and you can tell when and, you watch it how well they work together. It's just so obvious, you know. It's like magic they make. It, absolutely, it, you know. You're talking about it, it. It it takes you on that ride. It tells the story, and from bell to bell, and it just um, that. Like I said, that match I, I feel is one of the greatest of all times. But, um, but completely agree with O'Connor. I, I I wish people would dig into, you know, maybe as as they comb through the internet and they run out of all the other guys, maybe people start rediscovering some of the, the older stuff, you know, and so much to be learned from O'Connor. And the, the thing is his stuff was so modern looking that you can go back and take a couple moves from what his moveset was. Yeah. And you do you do it today. And people think you've come up with something brand new. They're like, "Oh my God, what did you, what did you think of that?" Like, I have oh, a, God. I have a friend of mine who's uh, he's a, a wrestler up here, 
goes by the name of Lucas Chase, um, and he, he's wrestled in Texas, other places. And you know, he's a younger guy. He's younger than you know. Well, every every wrestler is younger than me now. It's funny when I say uh-huh. that, but but well, right, not every right. not every wrestler, but but most wrestlers <laughs> most wrestlers are younger than me now. But but he's a young guy, and and I say, oh, I sit him down sometimes, and I go, watch this, watch that, and you got to see this. And I showed him, I showed him O'Connor and Rogers, and. He he literally would was making me pause it, pause, go back, Absolutely. show me that again. And he's sitting there and he's like, you know, recording on his phone that just that part, that, you know, here and there, things that he did. I remember there was mm-hmm. one and I didn't tell him to do that, but he just said, oh, I'm going to use that. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's one part. And I wish I could do it justice where O'Connor, he does he does this whole kind of oh, I can't remember. It's like this rolling combination of like arm locks that uh, you never see anybody do it's just mm-hmm. this really unique way of doing it i'm not doing mm-hmm. it justice but but the, the chain wrestling and he never lets go of the, the, right. the body part that he's working and it looks like everything no matter what rogers does to counter it o'connor still got it and it just flows and it that's it and he's never letting go that's the it that's, looks like that that guy that Right, he's never going to let go of that armor, you know, and, and he's he's going to make sure that he maintains the hold and contact. Right. And so I saw that. Work. I saw that with my own eyes. You know, the, this young wrestler going, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, I'm." And he actually said something like, "I like what you just said. I'm going to do this, and everybody's going to think that I made it up because nobody does this." But, you know, I, and I can give you two quick examples of things that I've done in the the, the past three to four months. So, uh. Obviously, Bob Orton has a very close relationship with SICW. Um, I got to start wrestling with Bob back in the early 90s. Bob was the first name that I ever wrestled when I was just greener's, you know, as green as grass. And I've become very close friends with Bob. Bob's fantastic. Well, Bob and Terry Funk, well, they could get hit and they would fall the, over the middle rope and under the top rope, kind of butt first, you know, and they would roll out of the ring backwards. And it, it looked great. And so... I was watching that and Attila wears those boots. It's got the, the hooked toes on it and like the Abdullah style boots. So I had a guy hit me. I, I take that backwards bump out. Then I hook my toes on the ropes, right? You know, where the hooks are on it. And I'm hanging upside down outside the ring. Guys in the locker room, where did you think of that? People right now, I, I, well, that was, that was a, a bad bump, all this other thing. How did that happen? Where'd you think of it? And I'm like, Orton and Terry Funk did it like, every match that was yeah. I, I said I, I didn't think anything new i just something you know and same thing harley a lot oh, of times God. guys would go up guys go outside out. yeah yeah he would go outside the ring then coming back in you know people suplex for those slingshot him in head first two months ago i told the guy i said hey i'm going to turn around and i want you to lean me back and i want you to hit me with the form across the chest and i'm going to go in head first but backwards, you take a face bump when you come down. If you watch any Harley race matches, he does it almost every match, coming back in the ring. I did that, and I had guys in the locker room say, I've never seen that. Why, why, what made you think to do that? And I'm like, like every Harley race match that ever happened? You know, that, that's a move. That, that's what I'm saying. You can go back to those guys, those guys that were the greats, and O'Connor. As athletic as he was, and like you said, as modern as some of the stuff. Look, you can take one thing, and if guys would work that in to their matches, it sets them apart because nobody else does it. 
you know, and that's the thing. Don't be a cookie cutter. Look different. Do something different than anybody else. Well, there's a lot of great advice being being sent out here, Dennis, and I hope that people listen to this that should listen to it. I hope the right people hear this because it, it, it very often it's, pre- it's preaching to the choir, right? And a lot of people that listen mm-hmm. to, to this show and others are people that agree with us 100%. And I hope that a lot of the people maybe who, who wouldn't have thought of it would listen to some of this and learn. I hope so. That's the future of the business, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, Dennis, for taking the time to do this. Really, this was this was great. And again, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. So hopefully, at some point, we'll we'll do more. But thank you so much. Yeah. I I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here uh, and talk about something that I truly love: professional wrestling. You know, um, yeah. I just uh, it's been a, a part of who I am since I was a little kid, from a fan to the don't you know my entire adult life as a professional wrestler and i just anytime i get a chance to do that and and to come on with you you know look at the success that you've been experiencing you know congratulations on the book the book is fantastic saw you on the documentary a couple weeks ago as well so (laughs) you know fantastic and i i I, anytime uh that you want to talk more I'd, i'd be more than happy well, I still have, there's one thing that I have not yet accomplished, which is to win a raffle at the Cauliflower Alley Club Banquet. So that's something that, that you have done that I'm very twice. jealous of twice, <laughs> right? Two, <laughs> two years in a row. I know. I, I, two years ago, we're sitting there and I'm sitting there with Haku and Ricky Santana and a couple others. And I said, I never win these raffles. I said, I've never won anything. And it was the lifetime membership. And I win. Right. I was sitting right behind you, by the way. And I saw, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And so this year we're laughing like, oh, I guess you're going to win again this year, huh? And that's when they brought in two free nights at the Plaza and they called my number out. And I'm like, you ain't going to believe this. I think I I heard, I I think I heard somebody, somebody within earshot at this last one when you won. I heard somebody go, hey, I think this thing is rigged (laughs) because you won it two years in a row. Won the big prize each year, you know. Right. So. <laughs> oh, well. well, Dennis, again, thank you. This is great. And, and and again, a privilege, an honor, and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. There you have it, folks. My conversation with Attila Khan, known to his friends and family as Dennis McCause. Dennis, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I love getting those stories from people who not only have the connection to old school wrestling, but who also have been in the ring and are even in the ring currently. That's a great perspective to have. And I'm glad that I could give you an opportunity to share your thoughts and memories on this show, Shut Up and Wrestle. And next week on this show, Shut Up and Wrestle, I will be having someone else whose stories and memories you are sure to love. His name is Dave Dwinell. He was a longtime referee in the Northeastern United States, WWF, and many other independents all through the late 70s into the 80s, 90s, and beyond. He has great memories, many of which were included in the book that he wrote, Ringman, which we'll be talking about next week on next week's show, episode number 54. Dave, among many other guests on their way to Shut Up and Wrestle, including 
WWF artist and designer Tom Fleming, Midwestern promoter and referee A.T. Huck. I've also got Mike Cavaccini, the author of the upcoming History of Impact TNA Wrestling book that is on the way. That'll be a talk about Impact and the history of that company, as well as the widow of Bruiser Brody, Ms. Barbara Goodish, is coming to Shut Up and Wrestle soon. Dante Richardson of Inside the Ropes magazine, and many more. I am always hard at work, tirelessly bringing guests for you to listen to right here on Shut Up and Wrestle. So keep listening to the show. Subscribe. Of course, you can find us on our website, suawpod.com. There are also the usual places you find all your favorite podcasts. Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you name it, and you will find it there. While you're doing that, don't be shy. Join the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Those of you who are members, you know that there's always fun, interesting, thought-provoking stuff being posted there. So do join the club. If you're looking to pick up a copy of my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, you will find it at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your fine books, you will find Blood and Fire. As for the magazines I work for, I mentioned Pro Wrestling Illustrated at the top of the show, pwi-online.com. There's also Inside the Ropes magazine, which you can buy at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. I'll be talking about the next issue of that magazine in next week's installment, but please do check it out if you can. Of course, The Wrestling News, your daily morning newscast on the world of professional wrestling, brought to you by the Arcadian Vanguard team, of which I am a proud member. Please do check it out if you haven't already at the wrestling news.com as for me if you happen to be looking for me on social media you will find me on twitter and instagram at brian r solomon you can also find my author page on facebook that's brian solomon writer and on any of those social media platforms you will find the link to my author website on the world wide web Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, may you live to be 100 years old, and may the last voice you hear be mine. So long, wrestling fans. I need your attention.